0: We are looking at 1 Samuel this week at 25. We are uh, looking at the life of David. David, wow, what a life to look at. He's, he's the hero of so many stories. He's the villain of other stories. Um, he shows us our sin. He shows us what we could be. And, and we're looking at this series, and we're excited by the fact that he's both a warrior, but he's a poet. And, and, and in this passage, you see two sides to David. And it's a really great story. Uh, I'm going to do some paraphrasing, but this is one of those stories that could be made into just a beautiful, maybe more, like last week's story was a different type of Hollywood movie. This story is going to be more of a love story for you ladies out there that like love stories. But for you men, there's a moment where there's almost a really amazing scene. So let me tell you the story, and then I'll pick up reading along the way. I'll let you know where I'm reading, uh, and then I'll read verse by verse starting at 23. So... Here, just to remind you, David is in the wilderness. This is our last sermon where David is not a king. Okay, next week, just so you know where we're going, Shane will be preaching from Acts. And then on February 4th, we'll begin looking at David as the king. So this is our last look at him in this wilderness era of his life. And remember, the wilderness era is he's been anointed and he's been running from Saul. And he's not yet come into the kingship. And so it really does represent our lives. We are in the already, the not yet. We talked about that last week. We are in the kingdom. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the first fruits if we were Christians. But we're not yet free of our sin. We're not yet free of this world, the brokenness. And David finds himself in the same way. Uh, and let me just start reading, and then I'll let you know where we are. Verse. Uh, we're starting at halfway through verse 1. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. So David goes on, and and what he does is he sends his men to Nabal to say, hey, we've been protecting your sheep. You have all your sheep. You're shearing them. You're having a feast when you, when you shear sheep in that culture. Um, you do so with a party at night. You shear all day, and then there's a party at night. And it's a festivity. Um, also, let me point out that why, why, the reason David was… Anyone want to do this right now? Uh, <laughs> the reason David was in this business as an over-shepherd was because of the danger of this area. Carmel, you may recognize that area from Jesus' setting of the Good Samaritan story. That's a dangerous area. And so as the, there's no fences. So as these sheep wandered, the shepherds went with them. There would be many bandits and bad guys that would take sheep, maybe even hurt the shepherds. So David was needed. And so what he's basically saying to Nabal is, hey, you should have invited me to this feast. I was part of your success. But of course, Nabal doesn't see it that way. Listen to verse 9. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David. And then they waited, and Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is this son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men whom from I do not know where who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned and came back to David and told him. And here's David's response. Look at verse 13. Every man strap on his sword. And every man of them strapped on their swords. David also strapped on his sword. This is the exciting moment, right? There's going to be vengeance. Verse 14. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. I'm going to paraphrase. When he, when he tells Abigail, she realizes this is not good. So she decides, I'm going to intercept David on his war path. I'm going to bring him a feast. That's verses 18 to 22. And then in 23, we hear what, David, what Abigail says. <clears throat> when Abigail saw David, she hurried, got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my lord regard this worthless fellow, Nabal, for as his na- for as is excuse me for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my lord whom you sent. Now then, my lord, as the Lord lives, and so this is tricky. The lowercase Lord is just being kind to David, respectful. The capital L is. Yahweh, right, verse 27, or excuse me, where were we, 26, now then, my Lord, as the Lord, Yahweh, lives, and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to you, or to my Lord, be as Nabal, and now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow you, my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make you, my Lord, a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. The evil shall not be found in you as long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, listen to what she's saying to him. The life of you, my Lord, shall be bound in the bundle of the living, in the care of the Lord your God, and the lives of your enemies shall be what? a sling, out as from the hollow of a sling. She's referencing something there we'll talk about later. And when the Lord has done this to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, she's recognizing his calling, his future, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause. David responds very thankfully for Abigail for rescuing him from blood guilt, she goes back to Nabal and explains, like, here's what just happened. You are going to be dead, and not only you, but everybody you know. Like, all the guys dead, and maybe other people as well. But I brought this gift to David. And by the way, when she goes to Nabal to tell him this message, he's drunk. And she's discerning, right? She di- has discretion. Excuse me. So she waits till the next morning. That's another thing of wisdom. Lets him wake up. He's probably got a hangover. She gives him coffee, and then she tells him, you were toast. Like, you were done. And he has a stroke. The, the actual passage says this, almost, right? It says, in the morning when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him. And he became as a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. David hears about this, sends for her to be his wife. Which is just like American courtship. She came and they became ha- married happily ever after. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, this story uh, is beautiful because it reveals through Abigail your patience and your love for even those of us that are fools. We need you this morning to see, to see the beauty of this passage, to see the hope of you, knowing you, Jesus. Amen. A few weeks ago, uh, Grayson and I went to a Thunder game Thanks to Joe and Mindy, they provided these tickets that, we, that we've used one time before, so we kind of knew where we were going. We got in our seats. We were excited. Um, we're, Grayson's gone. Where did Grayson go? The Milwaukee Bucks, right? That's, the, that's who we played that night. I'm looking at Mindy and Joe. Is that, who's, is that right? Thank you. Because I don't have a very good memory for things like that. I know who I played yesterday at noon or at one. I know that game, but I forgot this one. We sit there, this is our only Thunder Game of the Year, we're settled in, we're excited to watch everyone warming up. Right behind us, two young men that were Bucks fans, and they were the annoying kind. They knew every name, like every block shot, they made a they had a great chant in unison. You know, when their great player makes the shot, they had a chant. And to add insult to injury, like I kept waiting for my opportunity to chant for our team, but it was thirty-eight to eight at the end of the first quarter. Like There was no opportunity. And the whole time, I just, Grayson and I, and you could just see people all around us. I mean, there were no Thunder fans this loud. And we were in the Thunder Stadium. But we came back. I don't know if you remember the game. It's the game where we really should have won or gone into overtime because the guy stepped out of bounds. Remember that? And the NBA had to say, we were sorry for the missed call. Well, leading up to that comeback, like, Russell has one of the greatest dunks I've ever seen he drains a three to tie us up, and we looked at these two young men. And the whole, like, all, the, a lot of Thunder fans. I don't know if I was one of them. A lot of Thunder fans looked, and one person. I don't know if it was me or not. Maybe even went like this, yeah. And the look on their face was like shock. They literally they looked like, what? Have people been noticing us this whole game? Like, yes, we've been noticing you. And it over what overcame me in that moment was. I became a fool. I became just like them. Like they were annoying me the entire game and in my vengeance I was just like them. They probably left thinking those idiots, that one old guy with his teenage son. Like what's wrong with these people? David almost became a fool in this passage and we are often tempted to become fools in our response to people. And I want to talk this morning about how Jesus rescues us from being fools okay? Very simple idea, yet I think very prevalent. So we're going to look at three things, a fool defined, the wrong way to respond to the fool, and then the right response. So a fool defined. We we opened up our service this morning with Psalm 14. David writes this in Psalm 14, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. It doesn't say the fool says there is no God, though that's probably true, but rather it's when the heart seems to indicate that there is no God. And that's really what's going on with Nabal, right? Nabal is this person that the narrator tells us about, and he introduces uh, Nabal with three qualifications prior to his name being mentioned. One, he's very rich. Two, he has 3,000 sheep. Three, he has 1,000 goats. Every commentator says that's the narrator's narrator's, uh, way of saying he is so in love with his identity of wealth that he's foolish. Now, unfortunately, as Americans, I think we're like, awesome. Huh. Like, he's a billionaire. He owns a golf course, has two Learjets. Great. What's his name? Bob. Awesome. I want to know that guy. But here, it's a cut down. Here, it's saying, look, wealth is beautiful. Wealth is fine. But for Nabal, it was his identity. It goes on, This uh, the narrator tells us, the most striking place, I think, is where um, when he responds to the young men, look at verse 11. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed? i, I it's, a, it's like a child, my, 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 me, I. That just shows us foolishness, right? Jesus tells a story of a rich fool in Luke, and I just want to paraphrase it for you. Um, and I wonder, I don't know that he had this story in mind, but this, there's a rich man who has a great crop that's produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. Well, maybe I should share. Maybe I should thank the Lord, right? Nope. He tears down his old barns, builds his new barns. And he says, this is his, by the way, this is his plan, right? I will do this. And then in verse 16, I will say, this is his plan. I will say to my soul. Here's what this guy's going to do. I'm going to talk to my soul. Soul? You have ample goods. (laughs) Like what? Who does that? Who who talks to themselves in the third person? soul? Uh, Foolish people do, right? And there are foolish people in your lives. If you think of, I don't, yes, there's Nabal, and there's guys like Jesus is talking about in the parable. But not everybody's that far gone, right, that you have to struggle with. The question is, who are you wrestling with in your lives, a boss, a parent, someone who's abused you, um, someone who takes advantage of you, there are many fools we contend with in our lives that we have to deal with. That's part of living in a broken world, right? And the question is, how do you respond to those fools? How do you respond to people who at least in your mind appear foolish? I mean, the proverbial obvious thing is the guy that cuts you off in traffic. How do you respond to that? Because right? obviously, if someone's going to cut me off in traffic, they're a fool. They don't know who I am. And we respond. But what about the people that really do? They're in your life, and they're grinding away at you. How do you love them? That's what I want to unpack as we go forward. But I also want you to have in the back of your mind, am I that person? Not, not am I Nabal. I don't believe anyone in here. Okay, there's one of you. Just kidding. Nobody here is Nabal. Right, Nobody. But all of us have areas of our lives where we live as if there is no God. Our gifting, our job, certain relationships. We just live it out of the flesh, even as Christians. So have that in the back of your mind as we move into our next point, which is the wrong way to address a fool. Okay, The wrong way to respond. Proverbs 26 has this kind of a riddle. Many of you have heard it. Verse four of 26, answer not a fool, According to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. And then the very next one, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So the first one, don't answer the fool according to their folly, you'll become like them. The second one, do answer them according to their folly, or they will be wise. That's going to be the way, the wrong and the right response, okay? The wrong response, answer not a fool according to his folly. That's what David does. What do I mean? Well, David. Responds, you know, you heard the verse, right? That moment where he says, Strap on your swords, there will be blood. I didn't read the part where he said, um, verse 22, God, do so to the enemies of David and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him alive. He's mad, right? Well, at first, when I started reading this, I thought, you know, it's righteous anger. This is David right? Here's the problem. In, verse, in chapter 24 and again in 26, the, this, cha- this par- chapter is sandwiched between two places where David spares Saul's life. I mean, th- Saul's after him. Saul wants to murder him. And in two moments, he has an opportunity to kill him, but he has this strike, strike of wisdom that it's not appropriate because God has not asked him to take vengeance, vengeance out on Saul, so why here, when a person simply says, I'm not going to give you some food, I'm going to kill your whole town, you know, I'm going to wipe you off the, off the planet, why? That's what I want to explore a little bit, uh, and I want to make the point, when I first started looking at this passage, I wanted to do this, you know, there is justice, there is wrath, and in some ways it's true. Of course, God has absolute righteousness in his wrath, right, that Jesus took on. But here, this passage makes it very clear David's stepping out of line. Um, In verse 26, when Abigail's approaching him, she says, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand. In other words, by sending me here to stop you, I'm stopping you from being God, right? I'm stopping you from playing God. Who does that sound like? Who else plays God in this passage? Nabal. So fools act like they're God. They act like they're in charge. The, fool of Na- the foolishness of Nabal is, I made everything that I have. I'm the one who provided. And what David's message is to him is, no, no. If I had not been protecting you, you'd have had like nothing. Or maybe a very bad year. Maybe eight sheep would have been left, but I protected you. And God lets you and I know, this doctrine of providence, I'm, I'm overseeing everything about you. That's why we give thanks at mealtimes. That's why we need to be aware that we didn't do anything on our own. Um, God is giving us every absolute detail we need. Every breath you've taken since you've been here, God provided as a gift to float right in front of your nostrils at the right moment. Like, Do you have that view of God? Nabal certainly didn't. <clears throat> but then for David, it was that his identity was attacked. He was like, you are, you're going to say that to me, I'm coming after you. And I want to draw your attention to what I think caused David the most anger. I don't believe it was because the answer came back no. I believe the reason David became so upset is found in verse uh, 9 and 10, or 10 specifically. Nabal answered David's servants, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Who is this loser? Who is this peon? When you get angry at somebody, it's, it's usually because in some way they've attacked you at your identity. They've, they've exposed in, your, in yourself some shameful feeling that you're not who you say you are or you're not who you hope you are. Isn't that what gets you angry? James 4 tells us this. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you? you desire and do not have, so you murder. Now, he doesn't mean actual murder, though David was about to. He means, as Christians even, we have these quarrels, we have these infighting, we have these moments, whether it's a spouse, a brother or sister in Christ, a child, a parent, whomever it is. And, and in some way, our fights are almost always linked to them stepping on our identity, stepping on what we how we feel about ourselves. Think about how some of the most... The fights you're in with whomever you're in fights with, and maybe some of you don't fight, and that's wonderful, it usually happens not because of the spe- specifics of the, of the situation, but because in some way your identity was attacked. It was like a blindside. I think David was blindsided. It wasn't just no, it was who are you? You're, you're kind of a, you're a loser, son of Jesse, right? And it strips him of his dignity. So, how are you responding to fools? How do you know when there's a fool in your life? What makes you angry? Uh, are, are you aware of your triggers? Um, is it does your anger come out toward a fool, like lashing out? Do you just immediately lash out? Is it social media? Is it sort of a shutting down? A wall goes up. Is it through gossip? That's a really good way to deal with a fool, right? I mean, that's what we do, right? As Christians, we say, you know what? I can't help this person. They did this stupid thing. So let me just tell you about it. Nothing wrong with that. I'll just take it in my own hands. I'll share their story. They would tell you if they were here, I promise. The problem is, if we really analyze those moments, there's something in us that's finding pleasure in exposing their pain because their pain made us feel a certain way and we want to get them back and even gossip and slander can be two major ways we do this so what's the right way to respond to a fool right can we all agree what david did was not our best plan like let's not strap on our swords can we just at least because that would be a success like if i close this sermon down and everyone in this room said i will not murder that I'd be, that's a start. But, but let's, maybe there's a little bit more, right? Let's talk about Abigail. She is described as being both discerning and beautiful. And I want to look at Abigail as maybe a picture of that second proverb, Proverb 26, 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. I think the writer of the proverb is telling us There's a wrong way to do the according to, and there's a right way to do the according to. The wrong way is becoming like the fool. Just, you know, you know that that's like, like I did in the basketball game. I became just like him. But the right way is to actually get in the path of the foolishness. That's what Abigail does. She hears the story, and in verse 18, then Abigail made haste. She she decides, I'm gonna throw myself. In front of this band of men who are out for war, and I'm going to try to stop this foolishness. She's by the way, she's dealing with two fools: her husband and David. Both are foolish at this point. Secondly, and this is really important, is she brings this feast. Look at what she brings. First of all, let's look at what Nabal thought was being asked of him. He says, "Shall I bring bread and water and meat?" Like in his mind, what, should I give those three things? That's what, you know, listen to what Abigail brings, verse 18. Two hundred loaves, there's your bread, two skins of wine, I don't remember that in Nabal's list, five sheep, okay, there's some meat, but probably better meat, already prepared, so it's probably really good. Also, five, I don't know what a seah is, but it's a measurement of parched grain, a hundred clusters of raisins, and two hundred cakes of figs. Now, Listen, we don't eat that stuff, but that sounds really delicious for that era. It was a feast. She's like, I'm not going to just grab the water, the wine, the sheep, and hope it stops everything. She brings a feast, right? And she intercedes David, and she stops him and says this. And here's the third step. Verse 24, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. That's how you stop a fool. That's the gospel manner of loving the fool in your life. Bring him food. Okay, not food, but love them well. Sermon on the Mount, love your enemies. Even the pagans love their friends. Great, good for you. You have a lot of friends. Do you love your enemies well? That's what the gospel calls us to do. That's what Abigail is showing us she does. There's a third thing she does, um, and, and to introduce this third thing, I want to reference Brent Niles. Is Brent in the room? Okay, he'll be here. I think Katie's here. I saw her earlier. Anyway, okay, good. We were at Sonship, and he Brent, if you don't know Brent, you need to get to know Brent. He tells a lot of funny stories. And I don't know, it had nothing to do with our topic, but he told this story. He said, I have learned a trick for diffusing a situation when someone's really angry at you. And here's the story. He's back in college. He's driving somewhere. He probably cuts some people off, but they were baseball players for OSU, and they were angry. I don't know when he found out how mad they were, but when he pulls into his parking spot, they're next to him, and they're out for blood. Like, the windows are down. The words are coming out. Brent's thinking, I'm about to be murdered or hurt really badly. And so he rolls his window down and looks at the main guy and goes, hey, I think I know you. Yeah, I know you. And the guy's like, you don't don't know me. And he just continues this kind of like, yeah, I think you're, and he kind of keeps convincing this person. And now, listen, I don't think Brent really knew him, so that's a lie. So that won't work. But by looking him in the eyes and convincing him that maybe, he wasn't this angry person that maybe he had a history, that maybe we were in second grade together or played Little League together or we were at church together. It, it pulled that person out of their anger and they, they didn't apologize, but they did drive away and, and Brent wasn't beaten up. So again, A, don't murder people. A next step would be if I can get you to not do that. This would be really good if like, we learned to look people in the eyes and say, don't beat me up. But what is it about that seeing your identity? Because that's what Abigail does. Abigail goes to David. Look at verse 28. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord, that's David, a sure house, because David is fighting the battles of the Lord. And remember verse 29 when she says, your enemies will be like those That'll be from a sling. From, it'll be slung from the hallow of a sling. She's referencing David's story of Goliath. She knows what he's done. She's looking him in the eyes and she's saying, I know who you are. I know you. Saul has killed his thousands, David his tens of thousands. You're the prince of Israel, she goes on to say. You're the one whom God has anointed king. That's what Abigail tells David, and that's what melts David. She reminds him of his identity. She reminds him of who he is. And that is exactly what Jesus does for you. That is exactly what the gospel does for you. What does the gospel teach? That not only is it true that you are a sinner saved by God, but here's what's the most amazing part about it. From the foundation of the world, God knew you. God the Father sent Jesus to come for you personally. Jesus says this all through, all through the end of John. I know my sheep. They hear my voice. I came for those the Father sent me to. Jesus came into your way as you were tracking foolishly across the plain with weapons on and says, stop. I know you. Do you know you? Do you know your identity? Are you aware of who you are in Christ Do you, when you look at the Bible, are you drawn to this as words from your father who loves you, who cherishes you, who rescued you? Jesus also, you know, just like Abigail says, you know, on me alone may my Lord be the guilt. That's why we chose the quote on the front from Calvin, is that Jesus came in and said, I'm taking your guilt. I'm putting it on. And on the cross, he even has the ability to pray, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They're crucifying me, but I love them. And he's talking about you and me. That should melt us. That should help us with that identity being firmly rooted in on a daily basis into our souls. Help us to deal with the fools in our lives, with the moments in our lives. And here's the real important point. Sometimes it's the person you love the most who crosses you just a little bit and in your sinful heart, you just see them as a fool and you want blood. Run to Jesus, right? Where are we in this passage? When you come to an old, a text like this, it's helpful to wonder, am I Nabal? I hope nobody here identifies too much with him, maybe a little. Am I David? Well, certainly, I, I strap on arms and I go into fights too often. Am I Abigail? That's the goal, right? That's how we want to act. But there's another character that's in this passage twice that's unnamed, the young men, right? So it's characters. Um, in verse 8, ask your young men, David says, and they will tell you. In other words, use these young men as witnesses when he's talking to Nabal about how we came around you and protected you. But then look what, who goes to Abigail in verse 14. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, and she begins to tell he the young man begins to tell abigail all these things that have happened and that's where i would like to just finish our application is that jesus do you run to him do you go to him do you flee to him and say this just happened my boss did this my friend did this my spouse did this my child did this my parent my aunt my uncle i'm feeling it run to jesus do you do you see him as lovely That's the application. Run to him like the young man. Run to him like he ran to Abigail and know that it is Jesus who will take care of you. He will show you your identity. He will convince you of his love. He will restore your soul and your peace. That is your hope. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now that as we deal in our own hearts with our own foolishness, we would rest in the fact that you, Jesus, or Father, you sent your son, Jesus, to love even someone as foolish as me. Lord, when we really examine our hearts before you, I think most of the time our hearts probably say there is no God. Often at least. We get caught up in life and quarrels and events. Even in our successes like Nabal was successful, we can leave you behind, at least in our minds. And I pray this morning we would recognize that, we would repent and run to you, that we would, ha- we would recognize the way you provide every blessing, every detail of our lives, that you have us in your hands. Lord, I also pray that we would long to be like Abigail, that Christians, the church would be known by our love to the surrounding world, where we know that throughout church history that's been the truth. Often many have been one to to you, Christ, because they've seen the way the church operates under pressure. I pray we would be known as beautiful and discerning with our enemies. Would you make this true? Lord, we need you this morning. Amen.